0: And the question is this, how should Christians view the imprecatory psalms? Well, in the book of Psalms, there are are a number of different kind of psalms. There are psalms of lament and psalms of thanksgiving. There are royal psalms, Zion psalms, wisdom psalms. We can even put in that category imprecatory psalms or those psalms which would pray for the demise of God's enemy or the enemy of God's people. And in the old covenant model of God's people were set against the world. And their job was to, in some sense, cut off those who are sinful and cut off from the enemy of God. God's enemies and the enemies of his kingdom were enemies against his people. And so you prayed for their demise, which would have been flowering of his Kingdom, And in the New Covenant, we have the love your enemy passage in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as the turn your other cheek motto in the Sermon on the Mount, and the present the gospel to all the nations in the Great Commission. And don't kill them with the sword, kill them with the gospel, if you will. And still there are enemies to that work in the kingdom. There is your own sin that you could pray those psalms against that God would destroy that enemy of sin, your lack of faith, or even those out there who outly oppose the advancement of God's kingdom in this world spiritually. You could pray that God would undo that particular reality. And even in the midst of them, you're not praying for the ultimate demise because you want to see them repent. You're praying for the demise of their works, for example. And part of understanding how to use and relate to the imprecatory Psalms is understanding what level of continuity and discontinuity exists in the covenant models that we follow. In covenant theology, we see a lot of continuity, but we also see appropriate levels of discontinuity. We're not going to go out and pray for the eternal damnation and the destruction of the enemy. We're going to pray for the repentance and life in the gospel. We can use those imprecatory psalms as models to pray against those things that hinder the advancement of God's kingdom in this world, such as our own sin, or for people who work actively to promote the harm towards God's people, or even harm towards his common grace in the world. see God is a god of standards, a god of justice, a god of righteousness He hates injustice he hates when things tear away his character and his kingdom. those are the things we want to see go. In fact we we can uh, still use those as models for how to engage that reality without actually physically having them be destroyed without the whole notion of gospel repentance as a possibility. In fact, the New Testament shows us, first of all, that the Psalms are really important to the life of Christians. The book of Psalms is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. The apostles were clearly, thoroughly conversant with the book of Psalms. They saw no distance between the life of a Christian and the life of the psalmist. And so, to sort out of split the people of God into two halves in a way that would make the Psalms irrelevant For the New Testament Christian, is not to follow the apostles' teaching at all. And so we're encouraged by the New Testament to know the Psalter, to regard the Psalter as our book as Christians. That's all easy to say until you come to the problem of the imprecatory Psalms. And now the imprecatory Psalms are Psalms that we pray for God to curse God's enemies. And this very matter has raised many questions in the mind of many Christians such as this. Is it appropriate for Christians to pray for God to curse his enemies? After all, doesn't the New Testament say that we should love our enemies and that we should pray for our enemies, that we should turn the other cheek? How is it compatible with the New Testament ethic about loving the enemy to pray for curses on the enemy? And there are several ways in which we can answer that very question. And the first is that we never curse our enemies. We curse God's enemies. And that was true in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. God's people in the Old Testament were not encouraged just to randomly to curse people. The the imprecations of the Psalter are directed against the enemies of God and his purposes and of his people. And still, that doesn't entirely remove the problem. Should we be cursing enemies? And part of the answer is, well, not all the time. Not a lot of the time even, we need to kind of follow the balance of the Psalter. The Psalter doesn't curse enemies all the time either. And and nevertheless, we mustn't sentimentalize Christian ethics. After all, Paul says in Romans that we are to love our enemies so that in the final judgment, more coals will be reaped on their heads. And so loving of the enemy is not the elimination of the judgment to come. Loving the enemy is not the eliminating of that reality that justice has to be maintained in the world. And when you think about it, even prayers that we don't think of as imprecations, they contain still imprecations. That's because when we pray, come Lord Jesus, that obviously as a prayer that he would come to bless his people, that he would come to save his people, that he would come to make all things new. And yet still, in the process of his coming, there'll be judgment on the wicked. And in that sense, contained in the prayer implicitly, come Lord Jesus, is the imprecation on the wicked. And so we have to think about all of this. And there are such strong statements in the Psalter That it it does cause us to pause and to think, certainly. Uh, Psalm 69, we pray that the enemy would be cut off from the book of life. We may think, do I really want to pray that? Again, we have to look at the context. What the prayer is not saying is that someone should be cut out of the Lamb's book of life, which is the list of the elect whom Christ has saved. But it's really to be cut out of the covenant community and the prayers, that they should be cut out of the covenant community because they betrayed that community, because they revolted against the Lord God. And in that sense, what you see in the Psalter when you read a number of the Psalms together Almost always in relation to an imprecation is a prayer for repentance so that the enemies are not just cursed. There are also prayers that they might repent. And the curse always then comes. The prayer for judgment always comes on those who refuse to repent, on those who remain enemies of God. In fact, the most severe imprecation, certainly to modern ears, is the one at the end of Psalm 137, where the psalmist prayed that God would take the babies of the wicked and dash them against the rocks. That's a tough one for every Christian, and understandably so. When you look at the Old Testament as a whole, what you find is that in a number of places, there is a sense that the enemy as a whole has to be destroyed, uprooted, root, and branch for their wickedness not to reassert itself. And in the context of Psalm 137, it's clear that the Edomites had dashed Israel's children against the rocks. And so as difficult as this is, we shouldn't minimize the difficulty. It is a prayer for thorough judgment on the wicked, so that the righteous will be protected. And when we think about the final judgment, we need to realize that it, what is going to happen in that final judgment is... And we have to be sure we don't become so sentimental that the final judgment itself becomes a problem for us. And in that sense, the Psalms help us with these imprecations. In fact, they're written in the theocratic context of Israel. When God himself had a throne on the earth, these Psalms are written. Psalm 58, Psalm 69, Psalm 109. They invoke God's judgment upon Israel's enemies in terrifying terms, such as Psalm 58, 8. And while we profess that all scripture is profitable, it's useful, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, we must be careful to consider the ways in which that is true of these Psalms. After all, we were once enemies of God, as we see in Colossians 1, 21 through 22 but are now redeemed and called to love our neighbor, as we see in Luke 10.27, and to pray for our persecutors, as we see in Matthew 5.44 and Romans 12.14. May we identify an enemy for divine destruction as the imprecatory Psalms do? Can we do so in specific terms or only in general terms? Are we not to expect persecution in this age and to turn the other cheek as we see in Mark thirteen thirteen, Luke 21, 17, and Matthew 5, 39, as we wait for Christ's return as we're instructed in 2 Corinthians 1, 5 and Colossians 1, 24, these are... Are difficult, these are complex questions. And so we need to understand how scripture supports praying the imprecatory prayers in a personalized way, provided we exhibit a specific attitude. To pray for God to execute his righteous judgment upon evildoers is permissible in certain ways, even useful for believers. And so the aim here is to provide Christians with the biblical account of the impulse we may feel to wish God's destruction upon persecutors of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so there's three brief points on the use of the imprecatory psalms in prayer. First, we should guard against overemphasizing the place of these psalms in the Christian life. The church is not to undertake the conquest of Canaan. Our mission, rather, is to care for souls as we take the gospel to all nations, as we see in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19-20. We aim to expand and to feed the flock, not to eradicate anything that isn't a sheep. That is a difference between the gospel and Sharia. Praying the imprecatory psalms can be useful when done with this caution in mind. Second, we must recognize that the majority of the Psalter is nonviolent. The instances where a psalm speak positively in violence are, are rare indeed. And wherever we find imprecation in the scripture, it is not a triumphalistic or goating. It, is, it issues from a position of weakness and victimization as we see in Psalm 35, 7, in Psalm 69, 1-3, in Psalm 109, 22-25. Imprecation it recognizes God as a sole source of deliverance and righteous judgment, as we see in Psalm fifty nine five, Psalm forty thirteen, and Psalm one hundred nine twenty seven. The only one laughing at the wicked is God Himself, as we see in Psalm two four, in Psalm thirty seven thirteen, and Psalm fifty nine eight. And so praying the imprecatory psalms, then, can be useful when it acknowledges our impotence and participation in the persecuted body of Christ. Third, when we pray the imprecatory psalms, we do not expect that God will send the hornet to exterminate ISIS as he did the Canaanites in Joshua 24, 12 and Exodus 23, 28. On the other hand, we are not necessarily asking God to execute the final judgment that will come at Christ's return either. And while that judgment is foreshadowed in these Psalms and in the conquest more generally, God can and does intervene in creation as he upholds it. And in that sense, he may arrange for the downfall of specific evildoers according to his will, even before Christ's return. God hears and answers the prayers of his people in a variety of ways. And on those grounds, the imprecatory Psalms can be directed at specific evildoers as an expression of our desire for God's kingdom on earth to come, as we see in Luke 18, 6-8. Now, two points need to be made on applying the Psalms. First, we need to recognize God's sovereignty in acting out His own justice on evil. To be sure, until that judgment, Jesus commands us to love our enemies, to pray for them, even to bless them, as we see in Luke six twenty-seven 27-28, Romans 12, 20, and 1 Peter 3, 9. Jesus spoke more about love than bearing the sword, as we see in Matthew 10, 34-35, and Luke 12, 51-53. In a similar fashion, Paul instructed Christians to bless and do not curse our persecutors in Romans twelve fourteen. But this instruction does not prohibit it calling evil what it is and desiring that God dealt with it. Promptly and specifically, we see this most clearly in Revelation 6, 9 through 10, where the heavenly martyrs call out for justice and vengeance. Theirs is an intensely personal concern. They ask God to avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth. And it's important to note that while the heavenly martyrs are issuing a personalized imprecation it nevertheless is divinely mediated their imprecation is qualified by the sovereignty and the agency of god himself to answer their prayers second we need to distinguish between cursing our personal enemies ourselves as we see in colossians 3 8 and calling upon god to curse his enemies this distinction is evident in romans twelve fourteen. while paul instructs us not to curse others he does not prohibit it asking god to pour out his justice the distinction is subtle, but it's vital. In the former, we condemn men on our own terms and make ourselves God. In the latter, we beseech the king, and we recognize his holiness and our fin- finitude. And in that sense, when making specific imprecation, we must always balance Father save the lost with Father pour out your wrath upon evil. The contingency that holds together these two ideas properly submits to the sovereignty of God, His justice, and His mercy, without assuming that only one of the two options will bring Him glory. Paul does not shy away from personal imprecation as he puts this principle to use in 1 Corinthians 16.22, which says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. As Christians redeemed by Christ, we can simultaneously recognize the forgiveness of our own sin and the fact that sin itself grounds our appeal for God's judgment. Now, none of this counsel implies that praying in Precatory Psalms is a light matter. Far from it. As others have pointed out, some consider it a spiritual nuclear option. Nevertheless, there is a time to love and a time to aid, a time for war and a time for peace, as we see in Ecclesiastes 3.8. Lord willing, his justice will be meted out, and Isis and other similar perversions of the truth will be snuffed out swiftly and completely. But we may have only seen the beginning of the evil. And while it's a terrible thing to desire God's judgment to fall upon unrepentant creatures, it is worse still for evil to go unpunished. For that reason, Christians should exercise wisdom in their intercession for the persecuted church. And as we do, let us always recognize our own pardon from sin as creatures loved by God and magnify the sovereignty and the justice of the king of heaven and in earth. You see, Christians have been called to love God as well as our neighbors, as we see in Matthew twenty two, thirty seven through forty. God's people have been called to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us, as we see in Matthew five forty three through 48 Is it wrong we must ask for a Christian to pray specifically with regard to how they feel? Regardless if one is comfortable or not praying the imprecatory prayers, or whether they become a core of our prayers, such an approach should remind Christians that the world is full of injustice and that God is just." And with this understanding, the Christian can leave the wrongs that others have delivered to them into the hands of a sovereign God. You see, too often today, the love of God has been highlighted apart from the holiness and the justice of God. The imprecatory Psalms, they highlight the anger or the wrath of God. And furthermore, the Old Testament is replete with examples of the justice of God. After all, once a year on the Day of Atonement, if we remember, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer atonement for the people of Israel. Before the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the other priest tied a rope around his ankle so that if any of the prescriptions and the regulations the Lord had established had been violated, the priest could pull out the high priest's dead body. The imprecatory Psalms are part of Scripture. God is holy. God is loving. The God of the Bible is a God of justice who demands retribution to be paid for man violating his law, his commands, and his statutes. And so the imprecatory Psalms, they reveal a God of justice. And with that in mind, the reader of these Psalms needs to know the rest of God's attributes along with the fact that the God of the Bible is not primarily interested in smiting people and sending them to hell. And so, when the totality of Scripture is examined, the God of the Bible emerges as a God who is loving, just, and holy. His holiness demands that He deal with sin. His love compels Him to pardon sinners who come to Him in faith. And while the imprecatory Psalms highlight a crucial aspect of the attribute of God, the reader also needs to know the storyline of the Bible, which focuses on the redemptive work of the person and work of Christ. Now, Matthew five forty three through 48 is clear that we are to love our enemies. The supreme command for the Christian is to love God and their neighbor. Jesus in Luke six twenty seven declares, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And so Christians can pray the imprecatory prayers, but they cannot act on what they're praying. For example, somebody could pray, I feel this way about this person, God, insert how they feel here about that person, that people group, etc. But they're not allowed to act on those feelings on their own accord. And so I would counsel people not to tell someone that you've prayed for them in such a way ever. The Christian can pray the imprecatory prayer with understanding that ultimately what they are desiring is God's sovereignty to reign in that situation. Our goal as Christians should be to love God and one another. And with that said, the Christian is to feel how they feel, but our feelings are to be regulated by scripture, which means that they must express those feelings primarily towards God with a focus on his will to be done on earth as revealed in scripture. And one weakness of the diary approach to the imprecatory Psalms is that it doesn't take these scriptures seriously enough. Imprecatory prayers are more than just a diary approach where people share their feelings. Instead, they reveal a God of justice. And while the imprecatory psalms passionately express how the psalmist felt, there are also other parts of scripture. And as part of Scripture, they reveal an essential aspect of the character of God, namely His holiness and His justice. And undergirding the imprecatory Psalms is the idea that vengeance belongs to the Lord. The Lord will mete out His justice in His time and according to His sovereign purpose. And as such, while the Christian may and should pray the imprecatory prayers, they also need to trust our sovereign God. And when all of this is considered, we come to understand now that he alone, the Lord, will execute his justice on the wicked in his own time and in his own way for his glory. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.